Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote and Alan Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Microsoft 365 focused IT security professionals. It's episode seven of season four. Alan and I recently had a discussion about Azure automation. We lent heavily into automating various tasks within Azure and and how Azure automation can be a great benefit in certain scenarios. Here are the few of the things that we covered. We first talked about what is automation and how organizations use it. We also explored how Azure automation can help with that. And we discussed how to develop and deploy automations within Azure automation. Just a really quick ask from me, if I may. We have noticed that a large number of you aren't subscribed yet. If you do enjoy our podcast, please do consider subscribing. It really fuels the growth of the podcast to reach more people just like you. It's a really great episode. So without further delay, let's get started. Hey, Alan, how are you doing this week? Hey, Sam, not doing too bad. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. It's nearly August, which means it's summer holidays and everybody else is going on holiday, it seems. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm making any plans this, this time because it's um, my daughter's uh, birthdays in August. So, yeah, busy time ahead for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, record heated Europe. So yeah, um, in some respects, very, very, very jealous of what people have, uh, you know, been going on holiday to. But hearing some of the stories about, you know, crazy temperatures, it's yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit mad at the moment. Yeah, definitely in Europe. Um, yeah, yeah, and episode seven. How yeah. have we got there? <laughs> Don't know. It it's it seems as I was writing the the notes for the podcast, it just I had to double take. I was like. Is it really episode seven? So no, yeah, we're flying through uh, this season definitely. Yeah, I think we're about a third of the way through from yeah. our normal normal count. So yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Okay, shall we crack on with this episode? Yeah. So um, yeah, this this episode I'm basically going to be taking us through um, Azure Automation um, and and sort of uh, what's you know what's in that solution and and how you can utilize it. And so yeah, let's should, should we get started? Yeah, sure. Okay, so so what is automation, and why do people want to invest in it? Okay, so yeah, let's let's take it back to sort of you know square one, I suppose. Um, you know, automation in simplicity is is uh, literally automating. Um, I'll call it a simple task. I mean, you can automate lots of complex tasks as well. You might have a task that you have to regularly do. Um, so let's think of a, a basic scenario to to start us off with. Let's say you um, regularly reboot your virtual machines. And let's say you do that on a schedule, as an example. So without automation, um, you may have uh, somebody, let's say, you know, uh, that theoretical person um, has to log in at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning to reboot your server state. Um, now, that is a that might be something that you have to do every week. Um, it might be that your the amount of servers that you're having to reboot is continually increasing as well. So not only are you repeating that task on quite a high frequency, let's say once a week, but you also might have a scaling issue there where you might be adding more inventory that you've got to manage. And what automation can really do is it can hook into 
and when we're talking about cloud automation, I should probably um, sort of you know box it into. Um, we're talking about automating uh, various sort of cloud. We'll call it cloud first processes, but we it's not just cloud. But let's just talk about those for the moment. And it might be that you know instead of you having to boot uh, reboot those machines uh, manually, you might say, okay, I'm going to start a scheduled job at six a.m. every Sunday morning. And what it will do is it will go through each one of the virtual machines um, that, that I've got and just hit reboot on it. Now, you you might not actually want to do that for various different reasons because, you, you know, you might not actually want to reboot your service um, on that sort of frequency. But, you know, what, what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to take, you know, uh, the humans away from those really menial tasks, at least to start off with. You know, when we think of low-hanging fruit, really boring, repetitive tasks that don't require any, well, any if little um, actual technical ability, you know, to actually um, orchestrate um, the function. You know, if, the, if there was, a, say, a problem with rebooting a machine, then you might need somebody with technical expertise to be on call or to, to jump in and help rectify that. But, you know, the actual process of, especially if it's a you know, a cloud resource, like an Azure virtual machine, just doing that inside the actual portal itself is, it doesn't take any real, you know, a great expertise, uh, right? So, and I think what's really beneficial about it is, is that you can divert, you know, your technical expertise onto truly challenging technical, um, you know, uh, problems and building solutions uh, for, instead of having to sort of be, um sort of uh, mixed up and slowed down by the BAU you know like the things you do every day um so trying to automate as much of that as possible now there is a real balance because you know there is an inherent cost of automation you know because we're we're going to talk about azure automation today but you know if you don't have azure automation smes inside your organization um well even if you do there's an inherent cost of you know building that automation uh, but then that can be compounded even further if you've got to maybe go to an external third party to get that automation done as well. So there is an an ROI, you know, calculation to be done because you do have to think, you know, how long is it going to take us to automate versus just actually, uh, you know, manually running the process ourselves. So it might be the example that I use, which is a very basic example of re rebooting virtual machines. That could be very little work potentially to actually uh, implement, especially if you don't need, need things like sliding, you know, sliding reboot windows and things like that. Let's just say very simple requirement, all servers reboot at 6 a.m. on a Sunday. Again, probably not a very good process, but, you know, it's an example. Um, you know, then you might say, OK, it might take us anywhere from a few hours to a few days, depends how much process you've got in documentation um but to, to to get that across the line and then you could say okay after three months four months six months whatever the time horizon is you could say we we would potentially get sort of return on investment in our you know um the effort that we um put into actually automating that so once we get past that point everything is effectively time profit um after that after that point and obviously some organizations actually automate you know processes that directly impact you know their revenue so those types of process can be 
very very lucrative in terms of you know their ROI and their payback um, over over you know a, a long time period. Okay, so so automation is to help with rep- repetitive tasks where we can, you know, in effect, get something a process to automate to do that process for us, um, so that you know, like you said, you can free up SMEs or you know, high, highly skilled engineers in in the organization to then do some of the complex things that need to be done. You know, free up time, so it's not not necessarily about replacing people with automation. It's all about freeing them up to do more, I'm going to say fun things as well from a, yeah. you know, from a personal perspective. The way I look at it is more stimulating activities, yes. right? You know, because, you know, um, you know, does, does somebody really want to be waking up at 6am every Sunday to reboot the servers? Right. And I know that's a silly example, but you know, when you do have these like menial tasks that just take up people's time, and also it's context switching away from what they're actually working on day to day, you know, um, where you do have what I'll call like low hanging fruit automation. It's kind of a no brainer to, to automate. And again, I do have to emphasize there is a balance of that because you yeah. could spend six months, six years automating a process that only runs once a year and that wouldn't make sense. So there is a, there is a, you know, a calculation that needs to be done about, you know, time invested versus time uh, recouped over the lifespan of the process. Yeah, and I guess it's also, you know, automation also helps reduce, in some scenarios, reduce the amount of human error that may happen. You know, like you said, waking up at 6 a.m. to boot that server, maybe your alarm doesn't go off. You know, maybe you haven't set your alarm and all of a sudden they're not booting there, you've missed your change window, etc. That sort of stuff. Yeah, you know? maybe it was a Christmas party the night before, you know, yeah. <laughs> and maybe, or maybe, you know, uh, clicked on the wrong, you know, set of servers that get rebooted. You know, maybe there are multiple, you know, there's many different things when humans evolved and me being a human, I see that in my own <laughs> day-to-day anyway, right? Um, it's, it's, it's a, it, in my opinion, where it makes sense to, it's very, very effective to essentially instruct a computer to do a lot of those activities for you. Yeah, well, when it when it's repetitive, you kind of sometimes go into autopilot, don't you? And yeah, yeah, I know I'd do this to click, 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 maybe miss a step. Problem caused. Yeah, exactly. Not intentionally, but it just is what it is. Um, okay, so so what are some of the common scenarios then for automation? You kind of said about rebooting servers is what's some of the others yeah you might also want to build a process where you sort of build and deploy resources automatically maybe you want to um you know uh, refresh uh, secrets um in azure or something like that on a periodic um uh, time scale uh, many different things that you can automate um in the cloud for, for building and deploying resources you might have periodic maintenance so it might be things like uh, purging old data from databases, uh, re-indexing SQL databases out of hours, um, that type of things. Uh, you might want to wait and sort of watch, and I'll talk about watches. Um, you might want to respond to certain alerts and events happening in real time. So you might want to catch something happening maybe in a different system and respond to it whenever you see it. And potentially you could never have that level of response with a human anyway, right? You know, if you want to detect when you know a file drops into a folder somewhere 
and if that happens in a different time zone you know it could the amount of people that you would have to have to have a good sort of sla on that process um could be could be very expensive um there's also hybrid um automation which we will talk about as well um but that's basically where you can run automated jobs on um like on premise servers or even infrastructure as um as as a service so um we're not just talking about auto sort of um automating sort of cloud uh, solutions but we're also saying your you know bare metal servers in your IaaS servers uh, being able to run um on those actual machines which can be very helpful for uh, different types of workloads as well um monitoring um so you know uh feeding in resource um you know usage uh collecting monitoring data um those types of things um can be very uh, powerful with azure automation and it also integrates with a a bunch of different other services like say um, azure virtual desktop you know you can orchestrate scaling of vms there's different ways of doing that um but that's a common scenario um that you might want to use it for um you might want to look at um you know uh the changes in your environment you might want to run an automation script to identify sort of maybe what's changed over a period of time and maybe you want to alert on that maybe you've got your own custom alerting that you might want um they're just a few you know um scenarios oh, another one i should probably call out is scaling uh resources automatically um it may be that you know you want to scale your e-commerce front-end instances at the weekend um at certain times of the year because you know that you know um black friday cyber monday christmas you know all of those events you may want to um, use automation to pre-scale some of your infrastructure and you could basically uh, bake that process into an automation and nobody can ever forget you know to bump the web servers before uh, black friday you know it's it, it could just be completely automatic uh, ahead of you Okay, cool. Some of the things I can think about as well, um, general processes might be exporting data and importing to another system. That might be a manual process. Connecting just, two know. systems that have no integration between them, right? Building a bridge between them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah things like that. And um, I mean, we think about instant automation as well. You've got Microsoft Sentinel and automation coming out of that as well when you get alerts, kind of similar like you saying about monitoring. So, so yeah. Okay. So, could we have an overview then, Sam, of what Azure automation is? Okay, so I'm just, just going to first call out that there is sort of a a wider arching uh, sort of collection of tools which really fits under like automation in Azure. So you've got things like logic apps, function apps, you've got automation accounts, which we're going to talk about today. Um, you've got even got things like um, Flow and, and all many different manner of, you know, automation tools, right? Um, so, but what I'm specifically going to talk about uh, today is just process automation with automation accounts. We will do a further episode sort of comparing automation serverless no-code 
tooling in one big sort of automation episode because there is a definite conversation to be had about how you pick and maybe how you mix and match those different workloads um so we we will cover that um so there's there's sort of many different ways to approach automation in azure is probably the the one key thing to to understand but automation accounts effectively allow you to run on azure and also on uh on on-premise workloads <laughs> on-premise resources so non-azure um uh, code and scripts um, which can effectively you can define your automations um, in so so what it is is it's it's basically a container that is um, managed and hosted well no, orchestrated by azure you effectively give them your process scripts they help you with things like um, uh, connections to other tooling with inside of uh, Microsoft, storing your secrets or getting your secrets from other places um, within Azure. Um, they'll also give you the structure around the types of um, scripts that you can upload, how they're triggered, how they're run. So for instance, you could have a, a process that's run on a schedule and you could define a very simple schedule, like my Sunday morning at 6am schedule. So every Sunday morning, a process wakes up and then it says, oh, it's 6 a.m. on a Sunday. I'm going to run. So you'd have like a scheduled or a timed trigger. Um, you might also trigger a workflow from, say, a webhook. So you might have another system. And this is where sort of the collaboration and integration perspective comes from. You might have something like a, a logic app or a custom app that you've made that wants to trigger a job or a process to be run and they could use a webhook in order to um, integrate with that um, also and i've briefly spoken about it before you can have um, watcher uh, jobs which are effectively constantly looking for changes in other um, systems sort of polling other systems for changes so it might be that you connect it to a file store and when a new file is dropped into that file store then you run an automated process so there's sort of, but that orchestration is all handled by Azure for you, right? You, you tell it when you want, when and how you want your processes to execute, but you do not have to manage the sort of environment that orchestrates that execution. As long as with you work within the parameters that Microsoft give you, which is, pretty damn flexible to be totally honest with you um that you know th that a large part of that is taken away from you um it's also probably worth me mentioning at the moment is that there are sort of high availability scenarios as well with automation accounts where you can effectively run like a second automation account in a different region so if you do have um if you do have concerns about high availability of your process maybe they're critical to your business workflows um, there is also effectively a disaster recovery and a high availability strategy built in, which is when you start to get to those types of scenarios, that's when these types of solutions become very complicated to manage yourself. You know, it's how does it fail over? Does it fail over correctly? Um, how once it once, you know, um, everything's been restored, 
how do you fail back? Well, not unfail, fail back, move back to the primary <laughs> instance. Um, those types of things are where you're starting to add more and more complexity. And if you can imagine, if you're a, especially a smaller organization, if you can imagine, you know, um, getting somebody to build that level of orchestration for you, it's just, it would be, well, it's, it's a product in its own right. You know, so, you know, if you're, if you're in the business of selling widgets on your e-commerce store, you should focus on selling widgets on your e-commerce store, not, you know, managing your automations and orchestrating your automations, right? Um, Azure is effectively giving you this functionality. Well, they're not giving it to you. You've got to pay for it. Um, but they're, they're essentially giving back this technology for you to utilize inside your organization. Um, we we talked about non-Azure um, workloads, and what we what we're probably better off saying there really is yes, non-Azure. So we can use utilize a technology called Azure Arc. Did you do an episode on Azure Arc, Alan? Have we got an episode? No, we've talked no. about it because we should of definitely do an episode Cloud. on. Yeah, yes, we did. Yeah, that's right. Um, Note to self, we should definitely do an Azure Arc episode. Um, but what Azure Arc does is a f in a try and do it in one sentence. It effectively gives you a um a proxy it's I don't know the best way of describing it, a proxy resource in Azure for a non-Azure hosted um machine, right? Alan, is that the best way of um, it's describing it? It's a management it? engine that a management uh yeah, agent that you sit on um on non-Azure infrastructure that allows you to then manage it via Azure. Yeah. Okay. So you effectively, uh, so you're, you basically are, can then manage the machine, the device instance, uh, whatever it is, um, inside Azure, but without it actually being in Azure. And what, what you can then use is you can use that technology in combination with um, automation accounts to... Um, push those processes down to those non-Azure workloads. And what's really powerful about that is, is that you could have, um, let's say you had quite stringent networking requirements, right? And if you had a, like an automation that ran in Azure that needed to talk to say, let's say your on-premise SQL database, as an example. Um, Getting a singular, you know, point-to-point -point connection or s some sort of um, way to access that SQL database could be quite complicated. Um, and instead, you know, if you do Azure Arc, and please jump in here, Alan, if I'm if I'm sort of mis, you know, representing, you know, what the benefit of that is. If you can, if you can all sort of approve Azure Arc to go in, you've effectively got that that connection there ready to go that can be utilized by other different services right you know there's many other things inside of azure and technologies that utilize azure arc so you effectively set it up once and then you can sort of use it as a a connecting point between azure and that those on-premise um that on-premise infrastructure if that's right yeah it doesn't actually create a connection per se but yeah you're right that you know you can you can start configuring things like you said like your your hybrid worker for automation and that automation might be doing those. Um, maybe you want to do your, like you said, the tidy up of SQL 
maybe we'll, you know remove old data etc maybe you've got some sql um queries that you need to run against it constantly to you know to optimize the database or something like that um talking like i know what i'm doing there um but but yeah you can do that but it, like you said when you have to try and manage that automation service on premise or in other cloud in non-azure you know that that could be quite difficult to have you might have to spin up a server just to, to hold all your scripts and everything and hope it works kind of thing so that's all sort of managed like you said by the the azure automation account um from azure be able to you know tell it to go and run on that that machine yeah definitely and i think those types of i, I know you you mentioned it's not a connection but those types of connecting those two systems can be a challenge in itself right especially with different networking requirements there oh yeah definitely yeah it's it yeah it isn't a direct connection but um yeah you can get processes to run that way if you allow them uh okay so you kind of talked about it i think but um yeah how are process and tasks executed I think you kind of talked about, you know, scheduling and webhooks. Yeah, so I suppose the two sort of places that they would be, you know, um, executed is either directly within sort of a sandbox inside of Azure. So that's where you can... What's great is you get an element of compute within inside of Azure, inside of, you know, your, your pricing. So there's no... You could, in theory, if you had a cloud-only automation... You wouldn't have to spin up any other resources um, other than um, Azure Automation, which makes things very, very simple from a deployment and management perspective. Um, and and yeah, and then I th and then the other side of it is having that hybrid worker um, agent that allows you to then run uh, these workloads automatically and gather the results back to Azure um, without actually having to. Well, you have to set up the Azure Arc connection. Uh, but from my experience of that, Alan, the comp most complicated part of that is the networking perspective of it. If you've got supported, you know, um, operating systems. Um, so once that once that's in place, um, that sort of gets you your ability to talk um, both ways. Yeah, absolutely. The Azure Arc going in isn't overly complicated. Like you said, it's more networking to allow it out yeah. to communicate with Azure. So... Okay, so you know they're, they're scripts. So you know what language and what languages and platforms are supported in Azure Automation accounts. Okay, so um, basically the two main languages are uh, PowerShell and Python. So uh, and both of those you know are very popular um, scripting and. They're both programming languages. Is PowerShell programming language or is it a scripting language? I'm going to call them both programming languages because you can do so much in PowerShell, right? Even if it's not. Um, so they're both they're both really really powerful there. So what we've previously talked about on on uh, on the podcast is more uh, low code or no code solutions. You know, maybe we've talked about Logic Apps or Flow, where you effectively drag and drop your um, your blocks of logic in. Uh, but you write very minimal code. 
this is sort of the other end of that. So this is more like Azure Functions um, and app service applications where you're, you're basically writing PowerShell. Um, I think it does uh, scripts and PowerShell workflows, I believe, um, and also Python um, scripts as well. It probably is worth noting that there is actually like a GUI editor for PowerShell um, scripts and PowerShell workflows as well, but I've personally never used um, that before, but apparently you can effectively drop in commandlets in and sort of draw flows um, between things. I assume it's just write PowerShell like on the other side of it. Um, so, uh, and and really for me, what's really, really powerful is that you effectively have um, script and commandlet libraries that you can pull from. So you can share, um, you can download like gallery automations and scripts. Um, you can also bring in um, other co like commandlets and uh, packages into Python as well. So it's not like you've got a really isolated environment. You can actually pull in logic and processes from others and third parties to actually build really, you know, um, really sophisticated and high functioning um, automations. You know, the, the fact of being able to, you know, run a PowerShell script without a server is very similar to Azure Functions. Um, and I suppose we will do a further episode comparing why you may use one or the other. Um, but really for a cloud cloud only scenario, they are very similar, um, really, with the way that they hook and they, they connect to different things. Um, but obviously on Azure Automation, you have a bit more of a restriction in the programming languages that are available. You know, you've only you've only got PowerShell and you've only got Python as as far as I know. So, you know, if you if you're if you're there in those technologies, this is going to be really uh, powerful to you. Now, a lot of automation scripts in the Windows ecosystem, especially on servers, is PowerShell, right? It's fastly used for you know actual server scripts and things like that and so that that makes complete sense and also you know arguably in the linux realm i mean there is bash obviously but and there's many others but python is you know uh, really popular there and to be fair now that powershell is cross-platform um you're starting to see powershell and .NET, um you know more and more supported on linux actually it's a really good um experience there so you effectively had both um you, you've basically got um coverage of both windows and linux um as well with this which is uh, really really powerful for hybrid workers that's great um i think as well i don't know if it's for hybrid working or not i think it is but you think when you're setting up your putting your scripts in you can affect say what powershell modules yes, you need exactly. for it yeah. so you don't have to potentially worry about in your script getting them all downloaded installed you know because in effect i think you get like a worker don't you an agent that changes all the time so they've got to be installed every time but i think that all does sort of that part for you so it's quite yeah, easy it, ha it basically handles all of the you know pre-script life cycle of your you know your 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 script right you know you don't have to like you say um script installing a bunch of different modules and then so that you've got those commandlets right you know you you basically bring them in and then you can start using them um, straight away. Cool. Okay. So 
how do we how do we manage the content within an Azure automation account? Okay, so you can do it via the portal. Um, so you can effectively go into the portal and start um, writing a PowerShell script um, in, in the portal itself. Um, you can also um, there's a Visual Studio um, code plugin, which is really quite powerful actually, because you can actually trigger runs from Visual Studio Code as well. Um, and you can publish from Visual Studio as well. So if you do just want to, you know, fire a project up on your local machine, you can just effectively use that plugin in Visual Studio Code and just connect straight into it. You can also connect um, a an actual code repository to it as well. Um, so that will be synchronized in. So if you're currently using something like um, app service or function apps where it's connected to, say, a Git repository, um, you can also do that um, with Azure Automation. So you can effectively uh, develop, you know, um, completely segregated, and then maybe you would use a DevOps CI/CD workflow to promote content into, you know, between develop staging and pr your production environments in in Azure Automation. Okay, cool. Yeah, sounds um, sounds nice and easy to sort of manage. And I think yeah, we can you can deploy stuff via Terraform as well, can't you? Into there as well. Yeah, so it's probably worth talking about, like, yeah, the content and the actual resources as well is well supported on the um, ARM REST API. So you get good coverage on um, the SDKs that are provided by Azure and also in Terraform and other sort of IAC-like um, providers, I assume, you know, um, ARM templates and also, you know, subsequently bicep templates as well. Okay, cool. So this all sounds really good. Um, so the question that everyone loves, how is it priced? Okay, so um, like a lot of other things inside of Azure, um, it's consumption-based. So there's two different sort of um, cost metrics. Um, there's um, a job running, um, uh, basically, a, a price per minute for a job run. You get 500 minutes for free. Um, I assume that's per subscription. I don't know at what level that free actually um, hits. Uh, yeah, I think it's subscriptions. Um, don't quote me on that. So you get 500 minutes for free, um, and then it's $0.002, which is 20th of a cent yeah. is that right yeah i think so um per minute of of runtime uh basically so and what's what's interesting is there's no sizing skew for like performance or limits like that it doesn't it's not like azure functions where you're charged like per gigabyte second that you've used of memory it's just a flat for every minute that you're running it's going to cost you you know, a a, qu a quarter of a cent. No, it's a quarter of a cent. Yeah. So for every every minute, it's a quarter of a cent. Um, and then you've also got watches. So watches are charged per um, hour that they're actually watching. So you get one watcher for free, basically, um, a month. You get 744 hours, which is, I use 732 for my hour, you know, hours to month, but 744. Um, and then that, costs a quarter of a cent per hour that it's running 
So if you were to run, let me just fire up my calculator because I haven't actually done this one. So if you do 744 times 0.002, you're looking at, yeah, I'm just making sure I got my zeros right. Um, you're looking at one, one and a half dollars um, a month, basically, to run a watcher. But I assume once the once the watcher executes, you're then paying for the job runtime on top of that. Yeah. Um, now, the only thing is, and this might be a question for you, Alan, because somebody asked me this the other day, is I believe that you're also charge job runtimes for hybrid workers as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's what we believe, yeah, when we were looking at it. Yeah. So if anybody else knows, please do fill out our contact form on the website and we'll definitely shout you out if we're wrong there. Um, but yeah, we do we do believe that even though you're providing your own compute, you're still going to get charged for orchestration and integration um, from Microsoft on, on that. Front. Yeah, I, I guess you're, you're it's monitoring it, isn't it? At that point, you how far it's got through the script and yeah, things like that. Exactly. So it's, it's yeah. That. So, so they they still they're still going to have to run some sort of um. I suppose they're still going to have to have some sort of resource in Azure waiting for that process to finish. Right. You know, it might not be actually executing the code, but it's also like you say, orchestrating uh, the process as it goes through. Okay. So is that that sort of everything on the pricing side? It's very. Look, <clears throat> excuse me. It seems very simple. <laughs> yeah like it's yeah weirdly simple because like on the automation pricing page on azure it's also talking about um configuration management and also update management which we haven't gone into today because they're sort of other automation aspects of quotes azure automation not just process automation um but process automation is just like literally two lines in a single table it's like very 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 simple wow. i also assume that if you go into high availability um you're also just charged for those running as well um, when they kick in. So, um, yeah, very simple to actually, actually, you know, uh, price. I suppose there is no, um, there is no sort of, um, what's the best way of uh, describing it? There's no like fixed price allowance that you can go on to. You can't buy like a block of minutes Um or, or hours you it's literally just consumption so i know some organizations can be a little bit concerned about that because they can't you know unless their automation is very very um uh, consistent um they might not actually be able to plan very effectively in terms of um, those costs um but i think if you were ending up using enough to really sort of be a real cost in your organization um, you might want to also look at potentially other solutions as well that could maybe give you a bit more of that stability. You know, you might say, okay, we're going to pour our PowerShell scripts into function apps and buy app service instances for them because then we know we're going to get consistent, you know, costs um, in the business. Was was the watcher price the same as the automation? The you know the runtime? No, it's 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 a quarter of a cent per hour for a watcher, and it's a quarter of a cent per minute for the job runtime. Yeah, okay. So you're paying one one $1.5 a month for the watcher just to be active, and then you've got the actual, every time that that watcher runs, you pay the quarter of a cent per minute. Yeah, I was just going to try and work out how much that was for it to run a, a, for a month, because that would then tell you a max price then win it, and if it's anything less than that, that would probably be your best bet for calculating. And I've just worked out it's not a quarter of a cent, it's a fifth of a cent. 
So I got that wrong. But yes, I see what you're saying. Like how many minutes are there in a month and how if you absolutely like if you just ran it constantly, like how much it would cost you. Yeah, but that's cool. Um, so we kind of talked about sort of the networking side of things. Um, you know, how is you know connectivity handled? Is there a way of you know hooking it up to VNets, things like that? Yep. So VNet is supported in Azure Automation, which is another really powerful benefit of it because we we know from other automation and low code no code solutions you have to really bump up to potentially quite expensive tiers in order to get vnet support so to get to see vnet support in a sort of consumption based pricing model um is very uh refreshing to see um that's for sure i i personally think in order to get hybrid workers working you know they've they've got to have a lot of that strong networking capability there anyway to to do those connections so it, it doesn't surprise me that vnet support is 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 sort of baked in yeah absolutely and i guess it means that you don't necessarily if you don't want to run the hybrid worker in in you know potentially run the the hybrid worker in azure as i as then you can hook up to the vnet or you can run remote commands down to if you've got a VPN in place, then run them down to your on-prem. If you don't want to open it up to the internet, yeah, I'm thinking of exactly. your because yeah. um, you got to have you know Azure and Azure Arc being able to go out and um, the automation account service being able to communicate with it. So yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah and okay. there's so there's there's sort of so much that I haven't um really uh, talked about actually there's not really that much i think the only thing i've probably missed is um you can also manage certificates that your um that your scripts might need as well so it helps you to orchestrate certificate um, management as well kind of like you know other um azure automation um, service as well um and i think that's probably it Really, is there any other questions you've got, Alan, or any other bits that because you've used automation accounts as well? Do you think there's anything that I've I've missed? Uh, what about things like the the identity that the script is using? Because I know okay, that you so, can. Yeah, so they used we used to have run as accounts. Yeah. Um, public service announcement thirtieth of September, I believe, this year they're being retired. So if you do have any run as um, automation accounts maybe check that out uh but now they've moved to manage identities um for for effective um integration into entra ex no wait entra <laughs> entra id yes yes <laughs> i was gonna say entra external id i still can't get my head around that. i'm sorry <laughs> it's gonna take me some time um so yeah so for integration into um entra id um you've effectively got a managed service um, a managed identity like a lot of other um you know um, services and products in azure yes i think that was for all the you know interaction with azure side of things but i think your run as accounts might still work for the hybrid workers when they're on premise because you may have a local account there but i think talking to azure externally things like that it's Got it. it's those like managed entities yeah so, so yeah no, that's the only thing i can think of at the moment um, used them a little bit. A colleague of ours, Chris, has used them quite a bit in the past and yep. recently. So yeah, definitely. And Luke, yeah, and we. I think. I think for me, um, there's a there's a lot of different ways to approach automation in Azure, and it really does come down to 
like looking at each one, understanding its capability and really picking the right tool for the right job. Um, and if you do want to run in a hybrid sort of setup, um, executing, you know, uh, commands and um, scripts on on-premise servers, um, there's from from what I know um, that there's very little that even comes close to it um, in Azure. To be totally honest with you, no, not without having a direct connection to a you know a server in Azure, talking to your on-premise and running those commands, and then having to you know manage that hosting of that and paying for it, etc. So, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, so is there anything else, Sam? Is there anything else you no, want to shout out about? No, um, the only thing is, is I'd probably call out the previous episode that's sort of linked to this one. So season season f- season four, episode three, um, I did an episode on function apps. So if you if you do write um, PowerShell and Python uh, scripts that you want to automate, might be worth you checking out that episode um, because I do talk about function apps and um, there's a lot of similarities um, there between the two. Um, so, so definitely do go and check that out. So, Alan, um, it's your episode next. Um, so, so what are you going to be covering? So, I'm going to talk about zero touch deployments with Microsoft Inching. So, it's looking at uh, Windows Autopilot, um, Apple Business Manager um, for Mac and iOS, because we've had some experience with those, um, and uh, some of the Android Zero Touch, which is slightly different because it sometimes depends on the vendor. Okay, great. Yeah, uh, looking forward to that. That's definitely a uh, witchcraft and wizardry when it's all <laughs> <laughs> linked together, right? You know, um, that sort of open the box and, you know, it knows who you are is, well, it knows a little bit about you is kind of scary sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So did you enjoy this episode? If so, please do consider leaving us a review on Apple or Spotify. This really helps us to reach more people like yourselves. Um, if you have any specific feedback or suggestions, or we got something wrong, um, we have a link in our show notes to get in contact with us. Yeah, and if you made it this far, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Yep, thanks all for listening. See ya. Cheers, bye.